Hi friends, welcome to Interviews, Voices of Our Herbal Elders. This is my opportunity to talk to some of my dearest friends, people who have not only influenced my herbal work, but also have had a major influence on the revitalization of American herbalism. Most of us began our herbal work around the same time, in the early 1970s and 80s, when herbalism was still mostly underground, a place where plants actually thrived quite well. I love hearing people tell their herbal stories of how they began their herbal work, who and what inspired them, their favorite plant and healing stories, and I felt that others would be interested in hearing them as well. In fact, I felt it was important to capture these stories before this generation of elders passed on, as we're all destined to do. I can My guest today is the remarkable Karen Sanders. Karen has been working with plants, I would say for all of her life. She was trained in Native American traditional plant medicine as a child and apprenticed with a Mexican curandera while still in her teens. Today, she's a practicing clinical herbalist and educator. And along with her partner, herbalist Sarah Holmes, they run the Blue Otter School of Herbal Medicine, which is located on one of the most beautiful places on the planet, uh, on Mount Shasta in Northern California. The school is not only known for its really comprehensive med herbal medicine programs, um, but also for its ability to train herbalists how to become true healers. Karen's a really popular and respected teacher at herbal conferences. In fact, I might say she's one of the most beloved teachers at all of the conferences that I host. And she travels throughout the United States, maybe the world, <laughs> sharing her unique and insightful approach to herbalism. Karen's also been hosting this amazing and very popular radio program called The Herbal Highway, which I think she's been had on air since 1997, which makes it, if I've done my math right, about 25 years. And what's so amazing to me is that she had me as a guest on her program a number of years ago. That was quite an honor for me. Like most herbalists that I know, Karen is amazingly dedicated to her work, to the plants and the earth. But what makes her work so unique is her ability to fully immerse her clients and students in the healing world of herbs teaching them how to stand fully in their own power as healers. I don't think that Karen knows this, but among herbalists, among the people that I know, Karen is known as a teacher of teachers and the healer of herbal healers. She lives and teaches from the paradigm that the plant people are our first beings, our elders and our teachers, and that they hold the oldest and the wisest knowledge. So it's just a great honor to welcome you here, Karen with me today. I also just want to add one other thing. Karen and I share a real love of old Mercedes hot rods. <laughs> and I've had the great honor <laughs> riding around with Karen actually in the 1986 Mercedes convertible. She was driving and it was a wild drive. <laughs> so thank you, Karen, for, for joining me today. Oh, it is my pleasure and my honor. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'd like to focus a lot of our talk today um, 
on your indigenous connection to the plants. I know that's really, really, really unique and also your early training, but I'm always interested. And I think other people are also in the story of how you became interested in herbs, how you found plants or really, it's really about how the plants found you. So do you mind sharing a little bit of that early story with us? It came through my family because my grandmother uh, was a medicine person and they all do plants. And I guess they saw something in me really young. And so I was one that was picked, you know, and so I definitely had a connection to plants, but also to animals just as strongly, which is a strong part of plant medicine. I think Westerners don't use that as much, but most Native peoples, that's a real mix, the plants and the animals and their medicines. So that's pretty much how I got started. And then I formally trained for seven years all the time. And then my grandma passed. And then I found another teacher to finish up the 10 years. And then, like you said, I trained with a curandera just because that's what I had grown up around in L.A., East L.A. So Okay, yeah. I wondered how that happened, you know, how you found a a Mexican curandero. So you were growing up. Were you actually in the city or in the country outside? I did a mix of being way in the country and being in the city. Ah. So I'm very good at doing both. I don't know. I'm not good at suburbs, (laughs) but I'm good at the other two. So (laughs) as you're saying that, I realize you're a bridge walker in that way as well. You know, like so many people are really familiar with country living or city living or really really uh, well informed about herbal medicine or allopathic medicine. You are such a bridge walker in so many traditions and ways of being. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, so your grandmother was your first teacher as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I didn't know her because my other grandmother passed before I was born, but my aunties on that side would say, Oh, that's all we did was herbal medicine. And honestly, Rosemary, I think because of our age, our grandparents were born in the late 1800s, so everybody, nobody did allopathic. I guess if you really were rich or something, but, you know, yeah. everybody was doing herbal medicine. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, w- I would always say this about my grandmother as well, Karen, is my grandmother was an herbalist, but she would never call herself that. She just worked with plants, and she was my first teacher exactly. as well. But it wasn't like a formal, for me, it wasn't a formal training. She just would take me out to the garden and she would show me which plants to put in the edible basket and which in the medicine basket. It was a very, it was more a way of life for them, right? Honestly, what that was, that was formal training to us. You know, they, it wasn't formal like, oh, here's your class. It was like you were with them every day and they made sure just by talking to you and having you watch that you learned everything. So in a way, I think that is formal training, you know. I see. Yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And it's interesting because when you when you grow up and you see all the people using pharmaceuticals, that's foreign to you. Right. It's not what was much more natural was, you know, the natural using the herbs and the plants. What didn't feel so comfortable or safe was the pharmaceuticals. It was just a very different perspective of how of how both of us grew up. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting because at 60, I had to see a doctor and he was like, oh, you're really healthy. Then he's like, you're not taking any pharmaceuticals. And I laughed. I go, you just told me I'm healthy. Why would I be on it? Why would I use that? You know, and then I laughed. I said, well, that's why I'm healthy. 
Yeah, you know, it is. Yeah, that's a really, really excellent point. It is interesting how it is as people do get older. And I would say here older would be considered like, you know, 60 or older that it's normal for people to be on medication. And yet, yeah, it's yeah. like you say. Yeah. So I also wanted to ask you, like, do you recall a first experience with plants that really stuck out at you that you wouldn't mind sharing with us? You know, like when they kind of talk to you, when they kind of pull you in. Yes. Like that. <laughs> yes, I have a lot. Um, I just remember it didn't occur to me they were talking to me, but everyone, but I would hear things like I'd hear them say, and it wasn't always like, oh, here's how to use me. A lot of times it was like, you need to be quiet or you're walking too fast. You know, when I was a kid, they would they would teach me how to be around them. Yeah. And I remember one time my auntie was, we used to get, um, they used to have rose quartz sitting around and where she lived and they would use them in the gardens in the four corners and then went to go in the hills and get them and then they'd put them back. You know, you'd mark it and after the garden was done, the vegetable garden, you put them back. And we were walking up and she was like, I said, who's that? And she said, just be quiet. <gasps> and I said, but who's that? Who's wow. singing? And she said, just be quiet. And then we came around a corner and I realized it was the rose quartz. Oh, wow. You know, and she oh. just said, just be quiet. But I realized everybody has a voice and everybody talks to each other. Yeah. You know, as a child, it became so clear to me that if I opened up and was quiet, I could hear everything. Wow, what a powerful teaching. And the fact that the fact that your was your auntie who was telling you this? Was your grandmother, your yeah. aunt? Yeah, just yeah. the fact that they, yeah. Yeah, that they would know that, you know, that's such a powerful, I mean, most adults are still learning. I mean, I think that's probably what you do at your school, right? Is you teach people how to be quiet and listen because people talk about so often your students, I've heard them talking about how that probably is the most powerful teaching for them when they go to your school. They, they learn all of the educational components of herbalism, you know, all the physical components and even the spiritual, but more than anything, it's an immersion into themselves. I think that's one of the, I mentioned that a little bit in the introduction. I think it's one of the things about your work that so many of your students honor you for is this ability to really open up to and listen to them, the world around them and also to themselves. You know, it's a full immersion, but you got, you could do that easily, right? Because, because I was going to ask you that how did you discover to work that into your program? But I realize now when we're speaking, you got that when you were a child. Yeah, it was it was part of the teaching. Yeah, it was definitely and part of what I saw around me. You know, I don't know if you did this, Rosemary, but a Southern custom was you would go outside every day, you know, like all ages. And you'd sit either on a porch or in the yard and nobody would talk. And you listen to the wind and maybe someone would say, oh, listen, look at that. And you would, it was just to be, it was just to be with the wind and the plants and the area and each other. And then people would just kind of float off back to work and what they were doing. Wow. But it was a given that you would stop and you would pay attention to where you were wow. and give that, you know, give that your time and your, your presence. Yeah, it's really very, very so. powerful. Right? When you asked if I did that, I think about sitting on the porch with my five brothers and sisters. I don't think there was ever a moment of quiet, actually. But I did find that quiet. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. were very noisy. When we would sit on the porch, we were all squawking together. 
But I did find that quiet that you're speaking about. I remember, Rosemary, the first time I visited you, not at a conference, but at your home. And I was with Amy. And we went out in your garden and we just sat on this big rock. And we had moments of just being quiet and kind of present. And then moments where we were just talking and laughing, you know. And it reminded me of that. Like, oh, yeah. So that's probably partly what your students talk about when they go to the Blue Otter. And also when you come and teach other places that you're teaching them to listen deeply. Because, they, you know, I have to say that I, I have a lot of my friends who are herbalists themselves who have been trained and who many years and have taught others and have their own schools who have come to study with you. And they feel like more than anything, they learn a lot about the plants for certain, but they learn mostly about themselves. It seems to be one of your great skills is to help people, you know, really stand fully in the power of who they are and how to be a really heartful, in tuned healer. Yeah. I, I truly believe that as a, as a, you know, like a practitioner, when you're doctoring someone, when you're just using herbs, you're not really doing it. You're kind of this conduit that lets, that kind of just, you know, hears things and takes it to people. But I think the most important thing is that people understand that you're kind of just getting them back in their power and trauma just takes you out of your power. And so the whole point of a session or anything is to lead someone back to themselves and to set them, you know, real, let them realize their power has always been there. And I think to me, that's what I, I think we're supposed to be doing. You know, it's not so much, oh, they're sick. Of course you deal with that, but you're sick because things have happened and you've gotten out of balance yeah. and it takes everything, you know, all those levels of ourselves. So I, I do think that that you can only go as deeply with the plants or deeply with someone else as you're willing to do with yourself. So I think it's important that you take the deep dive, you know? Yeah. I think that, I think working with plants, I think we have one of the greatest tools of all because the plants, like you were saying that conduit, I always used to say to myself, like every time before I would see a person who was coming to see me for some healing work, I'd always just pray, you know, make me an empty channel, which which the voice of the plants and spirit can work through because they just are using us as channels. As I'd, maybe it's like that in other forms of medicine as well, but I know with the plants, it definitely works that way. You know, they just, they're using us, aren't they, to do their healing work. And, and also the more refined we are with them, the more they can work with us. So that's probably that part of that process of, yeah. And being able to go inside someone, you know, with permission, obviously, but to see inside and just let yourself see what's there and then, you know, figure out, okay, they're really not here for what they said. They're here for something else. And how do we get to that? You know, where do we start that that journey to that? Oh, that was so, very interesting, Karen. Yeah. I want to know, um, like, I love the part you said, always asking permission when you journey into somebody, but can you talk about that process? Are you able to describe how it is that you are able to see into people? Is that something you can describe? Because not everybody has that. Or if they do have it, they haven't practiced it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's honestly sometimes I think that's it. And then, you know, other pe people have gifts for certain things. Everybody has their gift, you know, and I was able to do that. And I think it's more just being so present and fully opening up to the connection and then asking, can we work together? Can I go in there? 
And then letting yourself, it's about following energy more than oh, anything. And so, you know, we're always, you know, our energies are always flowing in and out of each other. So if you get on the ride, then there you are, you yeah. know. That's beautiful. And you can see, you can. I love that line that you use. You're following the energy. That actually helps me understand. That's what you're doing. You're following, because that's yeah. actually, that's, you use that word oftentimes, you know, the energetic, working with the energetic energy of the plants, you know. And so that's a lot of what that is, even with the plants, isn't it? Do you want to talk about that a little more if you can? Yeah, it's, you know, it, everything's energy. I was just talking to some advanced students and I was just, they were saying, well, you know, there's the physical and then, you know, we'll do the spirit stuff. And I'm like, the physical is energy. It's not solid. It's, yeah. it's, it, it's matter slowed down, you know, so you can like grasp it. That's all it is. It's just energy. Oh, so. Thank it you. is about everything is connected because everything is energy. And if you trust that, I think, and you understand that and allow yourself to feel it and see it, then you can always move with that. And that's why with some people, it's just an easier connection because they're kind of there too, yeah. you know, or they're willing. Yeah. And you're feeling more energy. Yeah. I think when you, I think maybe that's why it's, I, I'm guessing, and you can correct me if I'm, if I have this wrong, but I have a sense that when you're working with those students who come to your place to really humbly want to be healers and to help heal the earth and heal one another, they are more attuned with yeah. that energy in themselves, right? So it's usually easier to work with those people, right? They're able, because they want to breathe in that energy and understand it. Am I right in saying that? They come open, but some have no idea what that means. And some say, I can't do that. And of course, those are the ones that end up having the most connection. You know, the ones yeah. that are like, I don't get it. I can't do it. By the end, it's like, uh, yeah, you can. But, you know, it's very hard, Rosemary. You know, I come from a different paradigm. So I'm realizing how hard it is for people to shift paradigms and to cross the veils and the dimensions because, you know, how I perceive things it's not a Western way. So, it, you know, you have to figure out how do I say this that would be oh. understood in, from that perspective. Oh, that's interesting. Can you Can you share a little bit about that perspective with us? I, you have been, but I'm just wondering if you want to explore that a little more with us. Well, just that we're in different dimensions. And I mean, you cross that all the time. That's why it's easy for you to understand, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> Yeah. So I think it's just an understanding that there's no hierarchy. Every being, every energy is connected and we're supposed to be. And we get out of balance because we get harmed by other beings or we get lost in ourselves or with technology. Oh, man, I've really seen it where it takes people out of themselves. It's like, come over here. Don't be here. Yeah, it's really true. You know, people, it's it's like a actually physical sucking of the soul. It can leave people feeling so unbelievably depleted and lost you know like any time that we're given a new tool learning how to use it is really difficult but the training for how to use it is not there you know so people are not they're not no they're a tool that's damaging and it's so powerful and people are they're using it so improperly that it's actually causing a darkness on the planet right now oh i think so too and it's harming even just bird migration but yeah. really I think if you can get people in their proper power, you know, personal power, not like that power that wants to seek others, 
then you start to like understand and slow down and go, maybe this isn't right. And you start to heal. Yeah. And once those connections start being made, then you get in balance, then you kind of get it, you know, it, you kind of <laughs> come out of it. So honestly, I think our work is to just lead people back to their hearts and their selves and let them understand that you're always got light and vibration in you, no matter what has happened, you can't be fully broken because that connection is there with everything. And I think once you can get people to understand that and feel that in themselves, then they're, you know, then they're there. Yeah. I think that's very powerful. So is that what healing is for you? You know, that was one of the questions I wanted to just, I wanted to hear your, your thoughts about is, you know, what healing is, but I think that that may have answered it, right? Yeah, I feel like it's when your energy, understanding your energy within yourself, so you know when it's flowing properly, you know, that's spiraling and going up and down and, you know, uh, you know, through the earth and up to, you know, the galaxies and back. But also, I believe (laughs) it's when you're feeling balanced, you know, all, all those mind, body, spirit, physical, you know, they're all in balance. Yeah. And you can realize that trauma is something that happens to you. It's not who you are. Yeah. You know, once you understand that, like, yeah, like, oh, I'm not bad or I'm whatever. It's just something that happened and it got in the way of access to personal power. Yeah. Which is its intention. Yeah. It's it's a major thing right now. So many people are dealing with personal trauma and planetary trauma and yeah. grief and the sorrow yeah it's it's a lot to lift up isn't it it's a lot to lift up and it's a lot to you know there's on, there's ongoing traumas there's societal traumas but I think you know once you learn how to be in your power and have boundaries and understand how to move energy then you kind of can deal with things in a way that's allowing you to be fully present in yourself and to, you know have your potential because everybody has that right. Everybody has the right to their full potential. You're doing powerful work, Karen. I I, I see you as kind of like one of those. Uh, I well, I used to use. It's a funny way to explain it, but I was used to. Uh, I think it was maybe um, from Ram Dass or Stephen Gaskin. It goes back a long time where they talked about you know being a uh, like a vacuum cleaner on the side of a dirty corner in the city or something, and you would just be bringing in all of that energy that sometimes was toxic and stuff, and just cleaning it up and sending it back out into the world, you know, and I, I kind of see that you do that when you work with people, you know, you, you're not doing it for them, but you're showing them the way to how to take all of that trauma and all of the things going on and just how to, to run it through yourself in a much stronger and more powerful way. And then what you're putting out into the world is, is far more healing than that toxic energy that sometimes is coming out of us. So I just see that your work is holy work in that way. And you sort of do it very quietly. Oh, thanks, Rosemary. Are you still up on the mountain? I heard rumor yes. that you were thinking of leaving the school. Is that true? Yes, yes. It's not a rumor. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's not a rumor. I'm ready for some. I've been in the mountains, and I'm ready for some ocean work. Oh, I understand. You know, and to yeah. connect with those oh, beings. Yeah, I do understand. You yeah. know, we, I yeah, you, know, you definitely do. I did that same migration. Yeah. I lived in and your landlocked. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm living on a big body of water now, right? So I moved from the mountains where I lived for 35 years to the lake, and it's very healing and soothing, I would say. The water is soothing, and it's... Yeah, people don't understand that that, you know, that lake is 
looks like an ocean when you're standing yeah. at it. You can't even <laughs> see some of the far side. I know. Yeah. It's called the Inland yeah, it's, Sea. It's yeah. powerful, it is. So, sweetie, I wanted to ask you also about, um, I know that a lot of your approach with herbs is is like as food, as our everyday, you know, food, the food that we eat and the herbs. And do you want to just share a little bit about how you see that food is medicine? I think we used to. Um, food was medicine. You know, everything people ate was intentional to be medicine in the body. So people would go collect medicinal mushrooms and they just called it food, you know, and <laughs> people, you know what I mean? And, and people cooked with, you know, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, it's medicinal. Yeah, people would put know. the herbs into like spices. Like you look at something like simple as gumbo, which isn't simple. It's a very complex dish, but basically it's filet and filet is sassafras and sassafras yeah was used to thicken things, but it was also used to clean not just the blood from winter to spring, but it was used to change the energy from going in for the winter to coming out again. So, you know, there was so many medicines that were just part of everyday tea and food. And I think, honestly, it's the best way to do it. I think I really try and get people to understand like teas and, and food should be how you take them. And then yeah. when things get really, you know, you get really out of balance, then you go a step above and you got to get, you know, straight up, you know, think about it deeper. Exactly my philosophy. I think just the same, you know, it's like if you get people drinking their, eating their herbs and drinking their teas and going out and, you know, gathering their wild dandelion and a little bit of plantain and burdock and just putting it in your food as every day, chances are that you'll need the, the rare medicine plants less often. You know, when we talk a lot about plant conservation, I think one of the things I see is that the rare plants, the woodland plants or the plants that are very specific in habitat, are you know, and that don't readily multiply are almost always those plants that are used for serious illness. But the everyday common weeds are the earth exactly. is healthy, you know, and they travel by humans. They, they mm-hmm. you know, they, they yeah. grow around our footsteps and say, here we are, use us, you know. Yeah, I, I yeah. and got traded and, and you know, all the berries and the, oh gosh, I just one of my favorite teas is this time of year when you can go, and they're actually about to go do a spruce tip harvest and oh. a dub fir harvest of the tips. It's so good. But because that was such a spring medicine of, yeah, and it's all vitamins. It just gives you so much, you know, yeah. I honestly, I feel sad because where we live, we've been in a drought for, oh my gosh, it's going on eight years. Oh, it's so really sorry. bad. It's the worst year ever this year. So I haven't been able to take the tips because I don't feel okay about taking the tip of a plant that's barely having some because they're in such a stress condition. Oh yeah, I totally understand. And I think that's the thing I think herbalists have to understand because I believe with some people, especially with Western herbalists, there was this understanding that the herbs belonged to them. And that wasn't my teaching. You had to earn the right. Yeah. And you had to tend them and take care of them. So you understood, like, you don't do that in a drought. There's a powerful connection. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I, I love that. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I feel like I live that way, but just hearing you say it is such an incredible reminder to me. I think that's one of the things that we do for one another. I think so many of these teachings, yes, some, they're foreign to some people, but a lot of people, we know them, but we have to be reminded now. You know, we have to be reminded 
over and over again that it's not about taking. I'm I'm also a little worried about it. You know, I spent so many years teaching people how to go and gather plants and mushrooms, you know, and wild things. And now it's so exciting to see so many people doing it, but there's not enough of the there's not enough of wild things to supply the huge needs and demands. So, you know, I'm looking at I know. Yeah. What do you think about that? But you know, Rosemary, I think that the greatest thing you could teach someone is to grow a plant because yeah, there you go. when you start something from a little seed yeah. or you have such a connection. And I saw it in my students, you know, we let them in the garden, which a lot of people, we had a huge garden for them. And we had different sections. We had a woodland set in the middle of where I live. There's a woodland section with plants from where you live. I had a plains prairie section. I mean, you know. Yeah, I had yes. a bog because I'm like, I have to have my calamus and my monza. So, oh my goodness. But once they were in charge of a section or growing it, everything changed. They got very uh -huh. protective. They tell people to slow down. Once you create life and have to tend it, it changes everything. And I think if people grew their medicines and even just one plant, people say, yeah. How do you hear the plants? How do you connect to them? Grow them, sit with them every day, water them. That's the that is your connection. You know, there's this fallacy that you have to have wild plants for them to be powerful medicine. And you know, in all native villages, there was medicine gardens right there that we planted intentionally. Nobody needs nobody wants to walk four miles to get something. So <laughs> you had your everyday medicine, you know what I mean? And yeah, you had your yeah. everyday medicines right near you. And then you had the ones, like you said, for really intense illness that you would go get, you know, and you would go find. So I I do think we have to teach people that you have to, I think if every herbalist and every plant person went out and planted properly, like yeah. what the families are, native plants in the proper places, and did that, we would start seeing them again. Yeah, because yeah, you know what I'm saying. If you take, if you take one plant and you have the the thought that I should plant seven or eight or nine or ten in its place, you don't run out of stuff. But yeah. that hasn't happened, you know. It could, and it, I think it is happening more. It has to become an essential part of all herbal education. The problem is, is that I think it was becoming it, but it, herbalism sort of exploded in the internet, which is a you know beautiful how it's. Uh, you know, introduce so many people to plants, but some of the foundational teachings that are so important are not there. Um, but one of the things, you I know, agree with that. yeah, you know, I know um, early on, like say in the 1970s, when I, when I first started teaching people about plants, I was, I definitely was teaching people about using wild plants, mostly the weedy species. Cause I'm a, I'm a weed eater. Right. But it was, it was because the quality of the plants was not so good. You know, it was, everything was, there was no organic. Organic wasn't even a word at that time. Right. Sustainable yeah. and fair trade. You know, those are, those came 30 years right. later. But today it's totally That's different right. because you can cultivate. So we used to sell people, tell people, you know, if you really want good quality and the essence of wildness and the essence of the plants, you, you have to go out and, you know, gather your own in the wild. But it's totally different today because of the things that you said, but also because we have really thoughtful farmers who are growing high quality organic plants that are charged with energy, you know. So they have that vitality that oh, 
you know, totally, right? And they have people singing to them and harvesting beautifully. And and like you said, of course, if people yes. grow themselves, but even in the herb stores today, you can get really high quality. So I'm like you, I feel like we have to really change the teachings in a big way from using the wild to using cultivated yes. and ideally organically, you know, sensitive yeah. and beautifully cultivated. You know, they're still wild, especially if you plant them as they're intended with their families, because that's yeah. what makes the medicine. Yeah. You know, people don't understand. It's not coincidence that those plants grow with each other. They're a family. They're a family. And in that, like cousins yeah. and uncles, they're a family. And if you grow them in that way, like a, a woodland bed where they're all there, yeah, then the medicine is huge because all of those make the medicine. Yeah. And so that's also a, a really wonderful thing is get them to plant like here's a prairie bed this is all who should be here here is actually who lives in a in the woodlands together you know that's beautiful what came to my mind when you were talking was you're talking about cultivating wildness right in families and I'm thinking we really need mm -hmm. to do that same thing with humans because humans are lacking the wild spirit right now that makes us tough and tenacious and able to survive the tides and storms of so we need to kind of bring that wild spirit back into our own lives. I, I totally agree. I, You know, when we did the woodland bed, it took us three years to get the soil right. And I was taught to taste soil and smell it. You know, there's a certain sweetness. And, and then one of the students was from, she grew up in Wisconsin. And she walked in there and said, oh, this this is it. It smells exactly like the woods. And, oh, my God. And we knew it was right when all of a sudden morel started showing up in that oh woodland bed without being planted. We were like, yeah, we were like, okay, it's it's ready, you know. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, you just get excited. I think if people just, you know, I was in New York City. I lived in Manhattan. I had an herb garden. I had, I was on the top. I was right by the tar roof. I had it up on the roof. You know, I'm like, you can have it anywhere, really. You are bridge walking across the Skyliner again. I knew it. Yeah, I love that. I I love how you travel be between the worlds, Karen, you know, both on this planet, you know, in a solid physical form or matter slowed down, as you were saying. I love that image. But also I love how you can travel in the other realms as well. It, you know, and I think some of that comes through genetic, you know, how things are passed down through our ancestors but also, and also some of your training and then just also some of your choice. You know, I think that many people have the ability, but they're never shown how to do that. And so they feel stuck in this one dimension, which is quite boring. <laughs> yeah. It is boring. And I think they get scared, you know. It, scary. It, it can be scary at first, but then once you realize Oh, we're meant to do that. Yeah. We know our, you know, we know how to come back to ourselves. Then it becomes less scary. It's more scary you when know. you re when you think you can't actually really, <laughs> you know. The I I agree totally. <laughs> yeah, it's so wonderful. I think that's one of the things about sacred plant medicine. I mean, I think it's used very abusively, and you know, people use a lot of these very sacred plants that are rare and have been traditionally used for spiritual journeys by people since the beginning of time, but still used rightly today, you know, they can help people step out of the three-dimensional world that oh, they, they live in. A hundred percent. But, you know, I had a student say, Karen, would you talk about hallucinogens and how I know you agree with them? And I said, well, those are used in a ceremonial way. 
for an intent purpose. But I said, what people don't understand is every single plant is spiritual. can take you to another dimension. Yeah. Is spiritual. And I yeah. have had more. I took Yarrow. We were doing intentional um, meditations together where we would meditate with a plant and then come together and talk about it because of Zoom, you know. And <laughs> I had one of the biggest, galaxies, you know what I mean? And pandemic stuff. And I had one of the biggest galaxy teachings I've ever had from Yarrow. Wow. Like, yeah. You don't have to just have limit yourself to those plants. If you open yourself, they have, they're all spiritual, sacred, galactic travelers, you know? That's a beautiful way of saying it. You know, there's a, I don't know if you know the work of a woman named Carol Gouillet. She's from Ireland and she wrote a beautiful book called Sacred Plant Initiations. And what she's doing in this book is exactly what you're talking about. She's teaching people how to do dietas or the diet with sacred ceremonies, but with plantain and yarrow. And she teaches these meditations. She does a really good job in that book, teaching just what you're saying. I, I do want to recommend that book for people who are listening because she's, you know, she is taking, she is showing people that you can use yarrow to have a galactic experience. And I and I know that's true. Exactly. But I think it is a lot. I think the plants are they function a lot like plant, the plant teachers function a lot like we human teachers, where you have these really powerful teachers that hit you over the head with a frying pan, kind of rip your heart open, or you have those that do it more gently. Yeah. And the, those plants that are known as, you know, this hallucinogenics or the those spiritual journey plants, they often are the ones you don't have a barrier. You, you can't say no when you, when they start to take you, you know, where a plant like yarrow, it's not that you can't right. you just don't want to say no. You just want to say yes, because it leads you powerfully, but also gently. Oh yeah. No, it's make it. Yeah. You're right. You know, some plants, if you ask them to give you medicine, they're not going to hear no. And you shouldn't ask a plant to give you medicine and then say no. You know, yeah. Any plant, you if you drink yeah. an herbal tea, you need to open to that. Yeah, you have to open to that to that experience. Karen, do you think that you could explain how you can drink yarrow tea and have that kind of sacred experience? Could you just share that process? Yeah, you know. Well, first I took it, and then I was like, I know I was sitting by my altar because it was. I think the first thing is to show up. You have to be present, okay. and you have to make that agreement with the plant that you will be. Don't ask someone to show up if you're not going to. And then I was sitting at the altar and I took it and I'm like, God, yeah, right. And I thought, oh, it's not working. And then I thought, okay, I think it's me. So I took a little more and then I just made myself go deeper. And then the next thing I know, bang, there I was getting this beautiful teaching. And honestly, I think it was just me being present and opening up and saying, if you want to show me something, I'll come to you. I think that we're always asking the plants to come to us when we forget to say, I will come to you and you can take me where you want to take me. You know, Ooh. you know what I mean? It's like, do. it's like if someone comes to be with you, you know, when they're really there and when they're not, you yeah. know, and the plants are smarter than us. They're our elders. They have way more wisdom than we do. They certainly know when you're faking it, yeah. you know, and so that's a question you so. use for a lot of your students, isn't it? Like I, um, you know, I've shared, I've talked to a lot of your students who are very close friends of mine, and they talk about how they 
show up for the plants and then how the plants really show up for them. And that that's probably the process right there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it is. I really think it is. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to share as you were speaking right then, a big blue heron just went right by the window. It's so beautiful to see it. Oh, wow. That's, that's a clan medicine. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a good that's a good omen, Rosemary. I thought it was a good omen. You just got given some medicine. I took yeah. it as a gift for you. That honestly, it's the relationship. Are you? Are we going to have a relationship with the world? And that includes the you know the skies and the waters, the underworld, the in world, the all beings. Mm. Are we going to have a relationship? Are we going to show up? And say, I want to know you, and I'm going to let you see me. Ooh. And with plants, that's the most powerful thing you can do. Wow. I'm going to let you see me, and I, I really want to see you. That's hard, huh? You know? Yeah, it's harder said than done. You know, we're human. We have all kinds of other stuff in us that gets in the way. Yeah. It's the most powerful thing. It's the most powerful thing, honey. Yeah, it is. I hope when you move to the ocean, and I totally understand why, if you've been in drought for seven years, your soul is craving for moisture. Yeah. So are you going to continue yeah. your school there? Are you, you're going to continue your teachings, right? Honestly, Rosemary, the way we teach is so intense. We literally hold people on an energetic plane for four months, mm -hmm. four days a week, six hours a day. And I'm getting to the age where I don't know that I have that. So we're going to teach differently. But I'm only teaching, honestly, I just want to work with things to go deep because it's just, you know how that is. You must be there. You just want to work with people and things that are, you know, you're, they're going to go there. They're going to try, you know. <laughs> and, uh, are you going to have some way that you're going to, uh, what would be the word, you know, not suss it out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have I wish, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I wish. But, you know, honestly, there are people so excited um, about this medicine. And mm -hmm. there's a group up there I really want to give these teachings to a group of, you know, indigenous people. And, and I mean, all indigeneity, not just, yes. you know, one. I use that and, word, too. Thank you. Yeah, I want to make sure that happens. And I mean, you come from that. You're Armenian. You know, it's like, yeah. It's deeply, deeply, deeply in you, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll keep teaching probably in a different style, yeah, you know. It's good to change every now and then. Um, Sometimes it's with the cycles as we grow older. And it's not even so much, I always say, it's not so much older in age. It's just when you start it. So you've been teaching in this method and taking it deeper and deeper. And then spirit is asked you to change. For me, spirit asked me to step in step outside the circle for a while. And I realized once I did it, it was because I had another enormous transformation and process I had to go through that really helped my work with the holy and the spiritual, but nothing that I ever would ever have anticipated or expected or wanted. But I think what the really important teaching is, is you have to continue to listen, even when it doesn't make sense to you, you know, like even, even when oh, and you have to grow. Yeah. I, I, yeah, you're right. And you the thing is, the beauty of it is, I hope people can hear what you just said, you were willing to accept that. 
That's the key right there. You can't grow if you're not willing to accept it. And when it's scary and when it's isolating and when it's more than you wanted, but you stay there, I think that's it. I knew with my work, both in the medicine and just the teaching, I had to work on myself every day or I couldn't do it. I can't do my work without it. I, I knew that. I knew that I had to see my stuff in order to to be able to work with people. And you know that, you know, and uh, I think that's the key. I think it's not about teaching the plants. It's about doing our personal work at the same time that we're working with others. Yeah, I think that's you know? the most powerful part. Yeah, I did. I wanted to just mention that thing about fear, you know, like I think that always when there's that when you're called to do really big change that has to do with something in yourself or leaving behind what seems like you're leaving behind something that you really love, you almost always confront fear. It's not I want to I always. Oh, yeah. It's not easy, you, but you always have to say yes to the voice that you hear. If So long as you cultivate that, listening to that voice, because we can get a lot of different voices in our heads. We have to really learn to cultivate listening to our spirit voice. You know, I think that's, but when that voice is telling you it's time for change, boy, you better do it. <laughs> you know, even if it is. You got to do it. And the thing is, even if it's scary and the thing is, everything's scary. I mean. You, you're going to have to say yes to fear in life. People live in fear. It's yeah. a matter of, do you want to live in one that's ridiculous or do you want to live in the fear that's going to take you to be a, a, a more huger person, you know, um, a more connected person? That's so beautiful. You know, we all have fear. So we get to choose which one we follow, you know? There's just something. First of all, I, I know. I still, that just fills me and I hope is filling the hearts of the people listening. And the other thing that, I, I don't know if I look like this, but the picture that I'm getting of you is not super clear, but it's like a spirit. I keep seeing this spirit painting of you. It's really like energy is swirling all over you. I don't know. Do I look like that to you? Because that's. I think it's perfect, actually. Yeah, you know. I know that's how you operate. And I just, I just when it first happened, I thought, because it's always clear, right? But in this, and what I'm getting is more of a spirit image of you, which I think is beautiful. But it does. It fills my heart. Well, up. thank you, because that means you're actually. <laughs> well, I I thank you because it means you're willing to see me. You know. Uh, yeah. You know, you get this, Rosemary. I mean, you walk in spirit. You know, you you really walk in spirit, and you have a lot of patience. I've often been like, how can she be so patient? But um, you know, I'm crabby. I'm like, <sighs> but <laughs> I think we just have to open our hearts, and that's uh, scary. That's scary. Yeah. But I have to say. I had a lot of fear when I was a kid, you know, circumstances, things. And I started to realize early on, you can't not have pain You can't, or fear in your life. It's part of life. Yes. So you need to choose the right ones. You oh. know, you need to choose the right fear of growing or the pain of growing and not go to the ones that don't lead you anywhere, but to oh, smallness, that. you know. Yeah, that's powerful. We can make a conscious choice to choose the kind of fear that we want to confront and grow with. I love that. I had never really thought about exactly. that before. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's because you just do it naturally, Rosemary. That's why you don't <laughs> think about it. I've watched you. You know, I have such respect for you because I know what's been going on. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she's just, whether she wants it or not, she's going in. And so she's going to come out more. You yeah, know, even great. though you're going to lose stuff, you come out more. Yeah. You have to be willing to give up things that are most of value to you in the world. You know, there's that 
there's that part of the of the holy work I think but yeah I've had a lot of good teachers it's true <laughs> I think we're coming sort of the end of our time I could talk to you forever Karen honestly I should I'm going to sign up for one of your programs <laughs> but, uh, I did want to just ask um this is a really broad question and Sometimes it's hard when you get thrown these, but do you have any final words that you just would like to leave us to ponder or anything that you'd like to add that we, that you feel is really important at this moment? Honestly, I think I would just want to say to someone that if they could understand that their light and vibration and their, and, and basically everything in the universe is in them and to feel to just somehow trust in that no matter what is going on mm -hmm. or what has happened to you and mm -hmm. to know that that's what's going to guide you i think that would be the thing i would say to people you know i think we'll just take a moment all of us and just sit here for one minute in quiet and let that fill us up thank you so much karen for just taking time out of your life being with us. I had so much more I wanted to ask you, but I'll have it, you. It's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to like, oh, we'll get to see each other at one point, you know. <laughs> We're dreaming it up again, you know, it's gonna happen. So I love you dearly. Thank you so <laughs> Thank much. Thank you. I love you too. I am there.